0: I'm sure some of you are going to have uh, mixed feelings about what I'm getting ready to say. Um, I've had a special request that I milk the sermon out for about three hours because uh, not all the food's completely done yet. So um, if I start start going back and preaching last week's sermon, you'll know what's happening. But uh, if you have your Bible with you today, if you wouldn't wouldn't mind opening it up to uh, the book of Romans again. We'll be in Romans chapter 12. And we're going to start reading in verse 1 in just a moment. And today we're going to do part 2 of the two-part message, or two-part series, I guess you'd call it, uh, that we started last week when we talked about giving ourselves to God. And in that text, you remember, we saw that rather than beat us into submission over the matter, rather than force us to give ourselves to Him in dedicated service, God doesn't do that. Instead, uh, in verse 1, He entreats us, He encourages us, He beseeches us, He urges us, through the Apostle Paul to give a, to give ourselves as a living sacrifice, and remember the way that the language reads in the in, uh, in the original language, this to be a voluntary and yet a decisive act where we make a decision to give ourselves to God. Now I mentioned that because in verse two the theme is very similar, um, but there are some important differences that we'll notice as we work our way through this today. Really hinges, I think on the command to renew our minds. And so that's what we're going to focus on. But what does, it, what does it mean to renew our minds, and what good does it do? Hopefully you'll see that as we work our way through this. If you found Romans chapter 12, please stand with me in honor of God's Word. The text is also up on the screen uh, in case you need it. Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, Paul starts down in verse 2 by saying, do not be conformed to this world. And as we begin this, I want you to know know that there are two grammatical things that are very important to understand. And I know you probably didn't come to church to hear a grammar lesson, uh, but it's important to understand these things so we can properly understand what Paul's saying. I want you to notice these first uh, phrases in verse 2. They, it, it says, do not be conformed and be transformed. Those things are passive version. In other words, they are not things that we do. They are things that are done to us. And so what does that mean? Well, it means in the first place that we do not have to work to be conformed to this world. We don't have to make an effort to live like the world does. We don't have to put forth an effort, sit down and decide, you know what, today I'm just going to live like the devil. We don't have to do that because what happens is there is, instead we have to work to be not conformed, right? We have to put forth an effort, we have to be intentional to not be conformed to this world. And what what the Bible is talking about here, and, and Phillips has a great translation of this, he says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. And so if you can just picture in your mind's eye having a lump of clay and having some hollow object, a, a, a cup or, or some other hollow object, and the clay doesn't really have a shape of its own, does it? But if you put pressure, if, if you stick that clay in that in that mold and you squeeze it, if you put pressure on it, it begins to take the shape of its container. Or, or those of you who are bakers or, or cooks, think about having cookie dough. And you lay out a, a, a cookie cutter on the table, and you put that cookie dough on top of it, and you press down on the dough, that dough is going to take the shape of the cookie cutter. And that's what Paul is talking about. The world will squeeze us in to its mold. It puts pressure on us, and so we have to make a concerted effort not to be conformed to this world. Second, it means that we, in in, uh, the rest of verse 2, it says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we cannot transform ourselves. This is something the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer. Now, we have a part to play, but ultimately, he who began a good work is the one who's going to complete it. It's not us. Now, uh, a second grammatical thing I want you to see here is that this is to be an ongoing action. In verse 2, we don't really see this uh, too much in English, but this is in the present tense. Now, in verse 1, it was a, uh, it was a decisive action. It was like a, there was a point in history where you, where you said, I'm going to decide to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to decide to give myself as a living sacrifice. This is an ongoing action. Somebody has well said that Romans 12.1 deals with making the commitment. Romans 12, two, with maintaining it. Okay, there are two sides of the same coin. So what does it mean to not be conformed to this world? Well, as I said before, uh, when he's talking about the world, he's talking about the world system that's opposed to God. He's talking about that system of, of thought, that system of behavior, that system of, of, of talk which is opposed to God. It doesn't give any thought to God. It doesn't give any thought to the ways of God. It doesn't give any thought to eternity. It's just eat, drink, and be merry. Why? For tomorrow we die. And what Paul is saying is that the world, the culture that surrounds us, it's opposed to God. And if we're not careful, if we're not intentional, we'll let our unsaved friends, our unsaved co-workers, our unsaved family members, the things we see on TV. Have you noticed how much garbage is on TV? The things that you hear on the radio, that you see in the movies, we will allow that to push us into the world's shape. It will conform us to this world. We'll start to take on the world's ways of acting. So that if somebody, somebody didn't know you went to church, they looked at you and they looked at somebody that's going out every night and partying and doing different things, they wouldn't see a difference in your lifestyle. It'll, it'll reflect itself in the ways that we talk and just generally in the way that we live. Now, we have to be careful here because that's one extreme. But there's another extreme that's equally as dangerous, and that's legalism. And I, I mention that because sometimes, and sometimes people say, well, here's what God doesn't want me to do. So I'm going to set up a rule. I'm going to set up a fence, so to speak, to keep me from even getting close to that. The Jews did that in, um, in Jesus' day. God said in the Ten Commandments, don't use my name in vain. And so the Jewish people said, you know what? To keep us from accidentally doing that, we won't even say God's name. Instead, we'll say Lord instead of Yahweh or Jehovah. And so they set up a barrier to keep... Well, people do that today. They say, well, God doesn't want me to do this, and so I'll make this little rule in my life to keep me from getting close to that. Where that becomes a problem. Is those same people. Begin to think number one. That the rule that they made up. Is God's rule. And they'll also begin to think that other people are obligated to live. According to their rules. And if you don't live according to my rules they think. You're going to hell. And legalism is a big problem. I recently stumbled across a couple of websites just this week that I think exemplified this mindset, or maybe it was last week. And and here are three things that I saw on different websites. One of them said, Women, this is for you. If you're a woman and you wear pants or shorts, anybody ever worn pants or shorts? If you wore pants or shorts, you're dressed like a harlot, like a prostitute. Another said that women, women wearing pants in church was apostasy, which is a falling away of the, from the faith. And another went so far to say that if you're a lady and you wear a bathing suit, ladies, you ever gone swimming besides your Sunday best? That if you wear a bathing suit, you may not even be a Christian. Now, there are all kinds of forms of legalism. I'm just highlighting some things with dress right here. So but on one hand, we need to work to not fall into this being conformed to the world. But on the other hand, don't fall into this trap of legalism. Because it's easy for us to make rules and, and things in our own life. That may, that may be what you need to do to keep you from doing something wrong. That doesn't mean that everybody needs to do it. If it, if, if it doesn't say it in Scripture, uh, you, you need to be careful of that. So on one hand, we need us to avoid legalism. The Pharisees did that. Guilty of that. On the other hand, this world. The second thing that he says in verse 2, if you look, is be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the opposite of being conformed is to be transformed. And the word that's translated as transformed is the same place we got our English word metamorphosis from. Any of you have kids or grandkids that have been in second grade recently? In second grade, here in the state of Missouri, kids learn about metamorphosis. And what is it that we always think of when we think of metamorphosis? And you know what metamorphosis is. It's a complete change in appearance. So what is it that we usually think of when it comes to metamorphosis? Okay, some of you think of frogs. You're, that is accurate, but you're not able to say it. No, Butterflies, yeah, butterflies is what we think of. It's a lot better illustration. So what, is it, what happens with a butterfly? Well, a butterfly starts out as an egg, and then a larva comes out, and then it, it grows, caterpillar eats a whole bunch, spins a chrysalis, and inside that chrysalis, it goes in a caterpillar, and it comes out a butterfly. Some of us are old enough to remember Superman, and even older enough to remember what a phone booth is. Now Superman, when he would go, he just if you didn't know who Superman really was, Clark Kent, he'd go in as a newspaper reporter into a phone booth, and he'd spin around real fast, and he'd come out wearing tights and a cape, and he was a superhero. He doesn't have anything on a butterfly. Now this butterfly, it goes in as a caterpillar. Now caterpillars are ugly. They're just like worms with legs, right? But whenever they come out of the chrysalis, they're beautiful. Now, did the caterpillar change into something it was not already? No. In the chrysalis, what was on the inside got a chance to come out. See, it was always a butterfly. It just hadn't got a chance to show itself yet. And here's what Paul is saying when he says, be transformed by the renewing of of your mind. He says, As you renew your mind, as as you become more like Christ, as you begin to take on the mind of Christ more and more, what's on the inside, just like that butterfly, gets a chance to come out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, the Bible says. Because when you get saved, God puts the Holy Spirit in your heart. He gives you a new nature. And as as we go through this life and as we progress through the process of sanctification, is a great big word that the Bible uses, Which means that God is slowly transforming us to be more like Christ. And through experiences that we have as the Spirit works in our hearts and minds, what he puts on the inside starts to come out on the outside. Now, how does this happen? Well, again, look at verse 2. It is not something that we do. It says, be transformed. It happens to us as the Spirit does it. So understand, in the first case, it's the world that's molding people into its image. In the second case, it's the Spirit that's molding people into the image of Christ. They say, fabulous. Spirit does it. I don't have to do anything. Wrong. Look at what verse 2 says. It says, be transformed, what? By the renewing of your mind. You have a responsibility to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to renew Our mind. Well, the word "renew" means renovate. Anybody have HGTV or DIY Network? I like watching those shows, especially there's one called "Renovation Realities" because it's—I think it's hilarious because they have just common joes like like us, and they're redoing their kitchen, redoing their bathroom, or something like that, and they have people filming them as they make all the mistakes, they cut the wrong boards, as. They don't turn off the electricity and shock themselves. I think, I think it's great because I do the same stuff. I'm just not silly enough to let somebody film it. But We look at those shows, and we know what it means to renovate something, don't we? We know what it means to, to get a room and to, and to redo it. Well, That's what Paul is talking about. He says renew or renovate your mind. How do we do that, and what does it even mean? Well, at the very least, it means that we as Christians have a responsibility before God to control our thought life and to think differently than the world does. There's an old adage that says, garbage in, garbage out. You put junk in, you get junk back out. And probably you've noticed in your own life times where that's been true, haven't you? Maybe you... um, Maybe you watch something or see something that you didn't have any business doing. And before too long, you, those images begin to fill your mind or images like them. Or maybe you're around somebody that, uh, well, I've worked in some some difficult places. Back in college, I worked at a place where I was the only Christian there and almost everybody else there had been in jail or prison and had gotten out. And so it was, it was a, a different environment. To, to be the only one just about who's not an ex-con and let me tell you they didn't use church language and you know what I'm talking about sometimes you're around people and they they cuss like a sailor and if anybody watches the students there's this one episode where Curly's in the court and he puts his hand on the Bible and the bailiff says do you swear he says no but I know all the words and sometimes we're like that aren't we we're around all that stuff and we don't swear but we know all the words and when we get upset, sometimes we say some of those words, don't we? Because we're putting trash in, and sometimes we don't have much of a choice in that matter. But sometimes it comes out too. Maybe you spend a lot of time around somebody who's, uh, who's weak in the faith, uh, and and they're always doubtful. And pretty soon, maybe you've started to notice that your faith starts to weaken as well. And you start to say, well, I don't know that God really can come that one. I just don't know. We must control our thought life. The reformer Martin Luther is credited with saying, we can't stop birds from flying over our heads, but we can keep them from building a nest in our hair. That's easier for some of us than others, right, Jim? Um, But the point of that is that we have all kinds of stuff flying in, in, in and out of our minds, don't we? And sometimes we'll be sitting, even in church, and something will pop into our heads and we'll say, Oh, my goodness, where did that come from? And we can't control what flies over our heads, but we can control what we decide to think about. If we decide to let it set up camp, that's when we get into trouble. So what does the Bible say about controlling our thought life? Well, uh, here are a few references if you um, want to write them down. I'll, I'll just give them to you kind of in bullet form. Philippians 4.8. He says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true... Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Don't just let them cross your mind, but let them set up camp. Psalm 101, verse 3, he says, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. I shall not let it, I shall not. it shall not fasten its grip on me. Sometimes controlling our thought life starts with controlling the things that we're listening to and the things that we're seeing. Colossians 3, 2. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. Psalm 119, verse 11. Your words I have hidden in my heart. Why? Those of you who have been in Bible school, watch the rest of it. That I may not sin against you or against God. Now what's that say? How do you get God's Word in your heart? First, you have to get it in your mind. You have to read it. Meditate on it. Memorize it. And as we get that into our hearts and into our minds, God begins to use that to transform us. He'll bring those things to mind whenever we're faced with temptation. And look at the end of verse 2. A very practical outcome of renewing our minds and being transformed is that it will allow us to know or to prove the will of God. Look at verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that, here's the reason, here's the outcome, you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now Paul uses that word prove in verse 2, and in the original language that word was often used uh, in reference to testing metals by fire. And so what he's saying is, this we are transformed as we renew our minds, when that happens, we will know experimentally the will of God. We will experience the will of God. As he works on our want-tos, we are more and more disposed to do what God wants. And we will begin to do those things. In other words, as we grow in grace, as we become more Christ-like, we begin to seek God's will more in our lives. And maybe you've, maybe you've noticed that when you were a new Christian, I man, you were on fire for God. But, you know, depending on your circumstances, a lot of times we kind of keep going the same way that we were and the way that we make our decisions. But as we mature as a Christian, more and more we start to realize, you know what, God really knows what he's talking about. You know what? I think that I better consult God on the matter. You know what? I think I need to pray about this. We'll begin to see that His way is really the best way. We'll begin to see that there's a lot of stuff we don't have wisdom for. And we need God's wisdom in our lives. And that will happen on an increasing basis. And I just want to clarify one last thing. At the end of verse 2, depending on how your translation reads, the end of verse 2 may be a little confusing. Because when he says what well, that which is good and acceptable and perfect, those are not adjectives that agree with will. Neither is good, acceptable, and perfect like three aspects of his will. I remember hearing this as, as a kid. Well, and this is just kind of a summary version of it. Well, his perfect will means that everybody's just doing what they should be doing. And if everybody did exactly what God wanted, that would be his perfect will. His acceptable will is, well, a lot of people are doing it, but there are some who are kind of going off on off the wrong way that's acceptable and and, you know good well god's kind of saying well that's that's good enough we'll just work with what we got that's not what he's saying these are nouns what he's saying is that which is good that which is acceptable to god that which is uh, uh perfect that's god's will what he's saying is that god's will is good in itself It is essentially good. It's well-pleasing to Him. It's perfect. Did you know that there's no way you can improve on God's will? Sometimes we think, well, I don't want to know what God wants me to do because I'm afraid He'll have me do this, that, or the other. We thought that, right? Well, if we knew enough to know that His way is best, we wouldn't say that. We'd say, I want to know what God wants me to do because He'll have me do whatever's best. You cannot improve on God's will. It, can't, it, it, it cannot get any better. And really, isn't that where we all want to get as Christians? Where we not only know these things cognitively, we know them in our minds, but we actually know it in our hearts. And we say, you know what, I want to not only know that God's will is best, but I want to feel that His will is best. And because of that, I want to seek His will. I want to experience His will. And I wonder if sometimes we don't make in if that we if we don't make knowing God's will just a little harder than it needs to be, because we say, "Oh God, show me your will." Many times we're like the man that was on a diet and said, "God, if you want me to go to that Krispy Kreme, you let there be a spot open up right in front of the door." And on the fifth time around the block, it was right. We we. Sometimes we we say we want God's will, but we don't. We want to do our own thing. Or we just miss it. We Oh God, if you want me to do this, Lord, please let there not be any traffic. And when I walk in my boss give me a promotion and and I go to McDonald's and somebody the guy in front of me pay for my meal. And we set up all these big you know, we're trying to uh, set out the, cloth, the, the fleece like, uh, like Gideon, That's what we think. But sometimes we make it a lot more complicated than what it needs to be. And what Paul says here is if you're going to know God's will to begin with, you first must be transformed. We say, I want God to show me his will. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what he says in black and white, verse 2. And if you're going to be transformed, we have to renew our minds. And if we're going to renew our minds, we must control what goes on between our ears. How do you do that? As I said before, be careful what you focus on. Be careful what you're looking at. Be careful what you're putting into your heart and mind. Be cognizant. Be, uh, be thinking about. Be aware of what it is that you spend your day uh, dwelling on. Put God's Word in your heart. One of the things I like about New Covenant Academy where Jesse's going to school is they make them memorize Scripture. And that's great for me because a lot of times I say, well, I can't memorize Scripture, I just can't remember it. But you know what? I've realized that in helping her learn it, I learn it too. And I've realized that if I can remember the words to a song, I can remember the words to the Bible. You can memorize this stuff. It's not easy all the time, but it's it's something that we just have to set our mind to do. And maybe you need to redouble your efforts in the Spirit's power and strength to do that, to meditate on His Word. That's not clearing your mind. That's filling your mind with the Word of God. Recently, I I went through a a time of, of stress and concern. And and you've probably experienced this too, I knew that God was in control. But I still was worried about it. You know what I mean? And that, it, it doesn't make any sense that those two things were both going on in my mind at the same time. But it's in those times that we need to open up the Bible and say, you know what, I remember there's this verse over here. I, I can't remember I can't remember exactly where it is, I'm going to open up my concordance. I'm going to get on Google. I'm just going to put in this phrase I can remember from the verse, and I bet it will help me. And you look at those things and be like, oh, yes. God cares about the sparrows. He takes care of them. He takes care of the grass of the field. What do I have to be worried about? Where's my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. What shall man do to me? I'll I'll, I'll trust God. Focus on those things because we still have to battle it, but it's, it's an encouragement to us. And maybe you need to. Maybe your focus is more on the beginning of verse two, and you need to work at not letting the world conform you to its image. Because if you don't put any thought into the matter, if you uh, just kind of uh, live your life, the world is going to transform you. And it's going to conform you rather into its image, which is opposed to God. To going to take on its mindset, its worries, its cares. So take care. Not to let that happen. I want you to stand with me as a musician comes. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I realize that today has been directed right at Christmas. If you're a Christian, I would encourage you to be in prayer for yourself. Because we all face this stuff. We all have to wrestle with it. To renew our minds. To give ourselves as a a living and a holy sacrifice to God on a daily basis. I'd also encourage you to be in prayer for somebody that maybe is not a Christian that's here. You've never accepted. I just want to tell you as simply as I know how. Your sin has separated. That sin is. God committed His own love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Faith in Him. Have your sins forgiven eternity in heaven. And if you've never done that, I encourage you to do that today. Heavenly Father, Lord, it's easy to come here today and put on a fake smile, and, uh, act like we've got all together, when on the inside maybe we're scared to death that somebody's gonna find out the truth. That is that we don't have it together. Lord help us not to do that because we're all we're all wrestling with life. We all have circumstances beyond our control. help us in whatever situations we find ourselves, whether it be a family situation or a work situation or whatever it is that we're facing, to remember we can't control what somebody else does, but we can control what we do, and that we need to renew our minds, we need to control our thought life, and that we need to work with you as you transform our hearts and minds. God, if there's somebody here who needs to uh, make that commitment, maybe they need to make a, a commitment to you for the first time, I pray that you would give them grace to do that and the courage to do that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.